some of you that, like me, didn't, weren't raised in church, didn't even know like this was even an issue. You're like, what the, what's going on? Why is this? But for the others of you that were raised in church, and not only in church, you guys, this is like, just like in society, all throughout history, the journey of women has been up and down, hotly debated and, and emotional and controversial. And the same is true in the church, that, that journey. And today's a, a special day for, for women. Happy Mother's Day to all the women. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the house. And not just the moms. I saw this, and I wanted to wish a happy Mother's Day to the moms without moms today. This is my first Mother's Day without my mom on, on the earth. So happy Mother's Day to the moms without moms. To the moms with a strained relationship with their mom, happy Mother's Day to you. Moms who saw a baby in their future and then suddenly didn't, happy Mother's Day to you. Moms who were desperately trying to become moms, moms whose children now live in ha heaven, happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, moms of one and dones, moms of multiples, moms who need a break, moms who don't, uh, happy Mother's Day to you. We hate you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I love you. I love you. Just kidding. Just saying what you were thinking. To the moms who feel alone and lonely, happy Mother's Day. To the moms who struggle with motherhood and the moms who are born to be mothers, happy Mother's Day. To the moms who sacrifice each day to give their families the best life possible. And to the spiritual mothers in the house of God, happy Mother's Day. Come on, give it up for all the moms. All right. So today, um, another hot seat topic with the role of women in, in, in church, and, um, and, and there's this, uh, I've been praying for you um, in this series over our church and truth, and specifically this week, I've been praying for you ladies in the house of God today that you would get a revelation of God's calling, of his power, and of uh, your assignment in the kingdom of heaven, that it will be fresh and renewed to you, and for you men that are in the house today that uh, may come from even a traditional uh, background, different from maybe some of the theology that I'm going to dissect today, I pray that you would be open to the truth of God's word. And I would even say this, like I often do when approaching subjects that people may land to the left or to the right of it, can we just go on a journey together? Can we agree to go on a journey through the word of God for the next 40 minutes before you um, put up a wall uh, or, or start to make a rebuttal through your mind and a counter argument, what that often does is, is just prevents you from understanding and giving, the, giving an opportunity for understanding to take place. Now, you can think how you want to think and believe how you want to believe. That's, that is absolutely okay, all right? Um, but can you just give me like, like the benefit of taking the next 40 minutes of studying the Word of God before you put up a wall in your mind and not let God speak through your wall, okay? Can we agree on that together, you guys? Just go through a study the Word of God together for the next 40 minutes because this is um, a hotly debated issue. Let me just give you some of the statistics today um, in churches around the world. 62% of the church in the U.S. Uh, congregations are made up of women, and so largely um, the following of Christianity in the church uh, in America is mostly women, and they have a lot of, like, reasons why that might be, um, but it is a sad reality. It is, for me as a man, I'm like, gosh, man, I wish that men would gravitate more to the gospel and to Jesus, and, and for whatever reason, women are taking up more uh, of the seats in congregations across the United States. Now, although there's 62% of women make up the congregation, 
in the U.S., check this out, only 11% of churches in the United States allow women to lead. Okay, that's 89% of churches across the United States of America do not allow women to have leadership today in our world that we're living in. And 13% of all these churches in the U.S., of those lead pastors, only 13% of them are women. So why the divide here? Why the, the disparity? I, I did some research here at Discovery Church in our own kind of you know, male-female ratios, and I'm kind of happy to tell you here at Discovery, the women make up 56% of the church. So we got more men at Discovery Church, which is actually a fantastic thing that we're going forward to the middle. And women in the church, they make up 56%, 50, 56%, but women in leadership at Discovery make up 56% of the church. Isn't that cool, huh? That, that the same percentage there. And, and here at Discovery, we have one male lead pastor and one female lead pastor. Give it up for your lead pastor, Pastor Veronica. Amen. So this topic, it's not usually women debating against and arguing with men about it. It's usually men of different denominational tribes arguing over biblical interpretation. How many of you know the Word of God is perfect, though? Absolutely perfect. But on some issues, it can be difficult to interpret the Word of God, especially in a new culture that we're in. It's 2,000 years different from the New Testament writing, much of it. But this isn't, I want to be very clear, this topic I'm bringing you today isn't a topic I'm choosing because of political correctness. All right? We, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are not politically correct, but we're going to side with the Bible every time over the world. Like, for instance, sex is between one man and one woman in marriage. That is not politically correct today, but that is biblically true and has always been true for thousands of years. That's been true because all scripture teaches this one truth, okay? But other topics on this issue, say, with the women's role in church, it has been debated because it seems like there are verses that have different positions, and I want to dissect some of these verses with you today. Um, there are two primary theological perspectives on this. Can we study some theology? You want to do some Bible study today together, you guys? I hope you got your Bible out, your notes, your something. Take some notes with me because I got to study the theology of this, and then we're going to get practical a little bit. But we do need to understand the Word of God, the, the, the theology of women's role in leadership. Two main perspectives. The Who's right? Like, is it who's right of the two I'm going to give you? I think that they're both a little bit right and they're both a little bit wrong. And so I'm kind of going to try to show you these verses and kind of uh, interpret them with you together. All right, what's the first view theologically is this? Write this down. It's the complementarian view. Now, that comes from that word complements is that root word to complement, meaning that men and women, they're different, but they complement each other. Um, but with the complementarian view, women can't be pastors. They can't be leaders. They can't be preachers. Only men can do that with this traditional complementarian view. Often churches that believe this are Southern Baptist churches or Baptist churches believe comp complementarian. Reformed churches, the Catholic Church, Evangelical Free, Calvary Chapel, these are all churches that believe complementarian, that they are different. They complement, but women can't be pastors. They can't be leaders. And, and the two major scriptures that they take their theology from 
is uh, from 1 Timothy, one of them, and then another from 1 Corinthians. So let's study those together. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this. Paul, the apostle, is writing this to a pastor named Timothy. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to, to, or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she, must, she is to remain quiet. Now, I remember when I was like, when I first got saved, I got a hunger for the Word of God. I read the, I read the entire Bible in like three months, and, and so I've always had this hunger for the Word of God, but I remember coming up against this verse and several others like it, and I was just like, what is this? And I had to take that to my pastor and leaders and dissect that and study it and go, what is, is this really saying what I think it's saying? So I get it. I get, let, let's, I mean, he's, I do not permit. She must remain quiet. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. So... Some say, well, there you go. It's settled. The Bible says, I believe it. She can't teach. She can't exercise authority. End of conversation, period. But you have to ask the question, was this a universal proclamation for all time and all situations? Or is it a situation at a certain point in time in history? Like, should we take this verse at face value? Or is there more to the story? Because here's the thing. If you take some of this literally at like face value, you got to take it all at face value. So if a woman can never teach or be any type of leadership role over a man, that would also mean that ladies, the moment that you pull into the church parking lot until you leave and get back in your car, you cannot say a word. Be careful, men. Be careful. Until you leave again, right? And that doesn't seem right because throughout the Bible, we are commanded to sing out loud, to pray and give thanks. And there's a lot of things that, that we would not be able to, women would not be able to do. So there's a conundrum there. Not only that, there's just a lot of like, like way in the Bible, that's not happening practically. So it, it presents a problem here. When you look at the situation though at Ephesus, I think it, it brings light to why the Apostle Paul was saying this to Timothy, who is a pastor in the church at Ephesus, um, there were challenging circumstances in that culture. The scriptures tell us that, that there were false teachers that were targeting women of this, of this city and were teaching them false doctrine. And they were, so they were extremely confused, the, the women specifically in this region, in this church. So it's kind of, you know, no surprise that Paul would say, hey, I don't want that being in a church, that, that confusion. Also, uh, Ephesus was where the temple of Artemis or Diana was, was one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. In this temple, though, you had, you had eunuch priests, you had virgin priestess, you had temple prostitutes. That actually was their, that was their job as a, as a form of worship, that that's what they would do. They were temple prostitutes. So it was highly sexualized. There was so much gender confusion. And now these former pagan worshipers, they are new Christians in the church that Timothy is pastoring. So it makes sense why just a few verses early in verse 9, the Apostle Paul would tell Timothy, and I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves in a way that fix their, they fix their hair by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Now, if you take that at face value, that women can't teach in these circumstances or talk or braid their hair or wear jewelry or designer clothes. Now, does God hate jewelry? Does God hate women's hairdos or something? Is that what's going on here? No, that's not what's happening, you guys. But the temple prostitutes in their day wore jewelry that was flashy and clothes that was erotic. 
And in the church of Jesus, he's like, it's now filled with former worshipers of this pagan god, Diana. And, and the apostle Paul is saying, look, don't, don't worship the living God the same way you worship the pagan god. Don't come in wearing the same things as your temple prostitute garb in this house of God like you did in that house of God because you're going to cause a distraction to what God is doing. So it makes sense why he would say this. Paul was responding to the problems in this community, in Ephesus, with Timothy. So the question is then, well, why is it in the Bible then? Because this, it, the principle of the Word of God is still beneficial today. And the principle is don't distract others in church. Okay, don't distract others. Like keep the focus on God, not you. And don't become a stumbling block to other people. So here's another confusing scripture. First Corinthians chapter 14 is another complementary verse that kind of gets misinterpreted. It says women should not or women should be silent during the church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. Now, you read that at face value, and you go, well, there you go. No talking, ladies. Be, be quiet. No, that would be lazy. That would be very lazy interpretation of the word of God. Again, you got to look at the big picture. The church in Corinth was actually struggling with disorderly worship. We know that because this whole chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, of where this is written, this whole chapter is about disorderly worship and maintaining order in the worship gatherings. And why was that a problem? Because in this culture, women were not allowed to be educated. Many of them were not educated. Okay, And so when they got saved, they actually got elevated to the proper status of value and worth in the house of God that their culture would not give them. So they were given a seat at the table. They were with men congregating, but because of their education level, when the pastor would be preaching a sermon like this, the women would stand up and go, excuse me, what do you mean? What, is that? what does that say? And why is it that? And so they were disrupting. It was causing disorder in the worship service. And then in verse 35, he says, if they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for men to speak in church meetings. So does that mean that forever at all time in all places? I don't think so. Look at this. A few verses later, he says, so my dear brothers, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you can read this whole chapter. It's about orderly worship. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. So the problem wasn't with women speaking. The problem was with church meetings being disrupted by men and women. Well, some, and then, but some say, well, it doesn't matter what's going on in the culture. It's black and white to me, Pastor. I mean, that's just what it says. You can twist it all you want. Okay, listen, if that's true, then we're going to have to start doing a lot of weird stuff at church. If you want to take the, this, the, if you don't want to take the cultural considerations, then we're going to have to apply a lot of weird stuff. Like, for instance, the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, of which Paul is speaking, uh, forbids men to have long hair. You can't. You can't have men. You can't have any men. You have long hair in here. You're going to hell. <laughs> hell with that long hair. Our women would be required to cover their heads in church. You, you got to come in with your, get your shawls on, women. And in you. We'd have to greet each other with a holy kiss. 
That's a command in the New Testament to greet each other with a holy kiss. How would you like that at first impressions, that greeting right at the door? <laughs> Welcome to Discovery. <laughs> right? <laughs> Back off my wife, bro. So it's a little bit too warm of a welcome, right? But then we'll go, we're really quick to go, well, no, those are just cultural things about men with long hair and women covering their hair and kissing each other. Those are just cultural, really quick to call out those cultural things. But you cannot accept some parts of the Bible as cultural and not other parts of the Bible as cultural. All the scriptures must be interpreted within the cultural context of which it was given. We have to consider that. All scripture must be uh, interpreted that way. God didn't put these words in scripture to silence women for all time, nor did he want men to dominate them. The strained relationship between Adam and Eve, in the, it's actually including the statement in Genesis chapter, it's not in your notes, Genesis 3.16, where, where after the fall, God tells Adam, or God tells Eve, he will rule over you. And some people take that verse and they're like, see, men were called to, to rule over. No, actually, God said that as a result of the sin that entered. God never intended men to dominate and rule over women. It was a consequence of the fall of man from the sin of man. It was never part of God's original design for men to rule over women. But to lovingly lead, to care, to protect to work together and with women. Okay, that's the complementarian. Here's, here's the second theological other extreme is the egalitarian coming from equality, equality. Uh, that's the, where men and women are equal and there shouldn't be any difference in roles based on gender. Most, uh, like often churches that believe in egalitarian are Assembly of God churches, Nazarene, Episcopalian, uh, some Lutheran, some Methodist, some Mennonite, Presbyterian, Churches, they believe in egalitarian. A lot of times they get asked, too, like, what is, what is discovery? Discovery, we operate non-denominationally. I am an Assembly of God pastor, though, as well as the pastors. I, I submit to the authority and the credentials of Assembly of God. Uh, but this church, we operate non-denominationally, okay? So just to answer your, your questions there about that. Egalitarian, though, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 is where they get their primary foundation of this equality verse it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There, there were major gaps in society at this time between Jews and non-Jews, between upper and lower class, or men and women. And this passage of scripture, it correctly emphasizes that in Jesus, all people, male and female, are equally valuable that your gender is not meant to be a barrier in the kingdom of god let me say that again your gender is not meant to be a barrier in the kingdom of god but some egalitarians i think take it too far where they claim there is no difference at all between men and women and some feminists have tried to argue that there is no difference that they're completely interchangeable and actually we don't even really need men for anything okay so <laughs> When it comes, listen, you, you need to understand this about God. When it comes to gender roles, he's not a chauvinist, he's not a feminist, he's a creationist, okay? So I would argue that God's original design at creation shows us his model for strong families and strong churches. As in creation order, so it is with the family and the church. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. 
Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to rule alone, to do it alone, to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. That word helper, by the way, and that's another term that, that sometimes men like to use this term to subjugate women, like you're here to help me, okay? You're here to, you help, you're here to help me fulfill my thing and my purpose and my vision, and like, like, or, like that's what you're here for, you know? That's not the term at all. And the reason why we know that term, that word helper is actually, the, the Hebrew word is ezer, and it's used most often as the, as the name of God, that God is our helper. Now, God is not subject to you. We are subject to him. Okay, so this calling the woman helper is not putting her lower than, than the man. No, he's just saying that this is someone who's going to come alongside you to empower you. And I would even say that the Bible is, is unique in its depiction of women's value, like status, like uh, among all of the, the literature of ancient uh, Middle East texts, there is no other Scripts, no other text outside of the Bible that, that has commentary about the creation of women and the value that God does. It is in the Bible that we learn the important role of women that he, they ever had since the beginning of human existence. Both men and women were made in God's image, the Bible says in Genesis 1.27. That he made both man and female in his image and likeness. There is no other ancient text that, that actually even talks about the creation of women. Only in, in biblical literature do we see the value and the worth of woman created in the image of God, carrying God's nature, and man carrying God's nature, both of them together. Okay, and then we get verses like this, though. Ephesians chapter 5, that get, that, that get kind of misconstrued. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. I would be very careful, dude. Just be rich. I'm down. I'm trying to help you out. You just receive it. Let the word of God do its thing and you be quiet. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, so creation design is still the family design. Children are to submit to parents. Wives, biblically, are to submit to husbands. Husbands are to submit to Jesus. Now, when you submit to godly authority, you're honoring authority, and you're allowing yourself to be blessed by authority. But you'll find that some men take these verses, and they use them to subjugate women. That women need to submit to men. Oh, see, it's the Bible. She needs to do what I tell her to. Women need to submit. Bro, if you thought about yourself submitting to Christ as much as you talk about women submitting to you, this would not even be an issue at all. Not an issue. I like what Beth Moore said. Beth Moore said, I'm reluctant to trust any man who is obsessed with the submission of women. I am too. Amen to that. Submission, though, is a strong word in our culture. In our American democratic society, it gives us a bad taste in our mouths. I don't like that. So, man, well, here, here's the deal, you guys, and it's already, it's already up here. But let me, and I'm not able to teach this very much, but let me just tell you. Submission deals with your attitude. 
Obedience deals with the actions. Okay? So you can be submitted to authority, which the Bible actually tells us as Christians to submit to all authority, that all authority is of God, whether that's governing authority, whether that is civil authority, whether that is family authority, and I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm actually going to teach this a little bit next week, but, but the Bible tells us that we should be submitted, but just because you submit doesn't mean you need to obey. There's a difference. So, so um, if someone in authority tells you to do something that violates or is a sin or violates the will of God, then you can be submissive in attitude but disobey the order. So, for instance, like, like sometimes I'll, get, I'll talk to families or wives. Like, oh, my husband doesn't want me to go to church, and maybe that's a situation. Oh, he doesn't want me to go to church, and tell me I can't go to church. Well, the, the wife can still be submissive in attitude where she can say something like this, like, I'm sorry, honey. The Bible says don't forsake the gathering of the saints. So me and the kids, we are going to church. I love you. I'll see you in, in an hour, two hours. I love you, but we're going to church, and we're worshiping God. She can be submissive in her attitude, but disobey the that, that her husband that's trying to get her to walk away from God or to dishonor God. Does that make sense, you guys? And honestly, like, I think that we forget what it started with. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that the apostle Paul starts with this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like, like marriage is a team. Sword is, listen to me, man of God, husband, father, listen to me. You are not her Lord. She has one Lord and Savior, and it's not you, okay? So, so the way that this relationship is supposed to work is to submit to one another. God, Jesus does not submit to you. God does not submit to me. In this relationship, though, God says, in order for this thing to work, husbands and wives, you need to submit to and honor one another. What does that look like? You may want to write this down somewhere. Leadership in the church and in the home should be gift-based, not gender-based, okay? This is going to set some of you guys free, and hopefully you guys do some things differently in your home and in the way that you think about the church. Listen, the way that leadership in your home and in God's house should be based upon your abilities, your giftedness, not your gender. So, for instance, in your home, if you, if, if my friend, my brother, if you do the finances yet you don't know how to budget and your wife does, you better submit the budget to your wife, Okay? Or, or, or when it's time to pray over, like, your know, family and situations, and, and you think, like, because you're the man, the man of the house, like you're the one that's supposed to pray. If your wife is an intercessor and a spiritual leader, you better submit to her and allow her to pray over her family, too. Like, that needs to, like that needs to happen, submitting to one another. That absolutely has to happen within, like, we can have strong... The home needs strong spiritual dads and strong spiritual moms speaking into their home together. The same is true of the church. Why in the world, if that's true for the home, like we know we need spiritual leadership with the mom, spiritual leadership with the dad in a home. We know that creates a healthy home. Why in the world in the house of God would we say, no, we only want spiritual men? Spiritual women just need to be silent. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. The church operates, here, write these down. Let me get really practical now. Number one, the church is better with men and women in leadership together. The church is better with men and women in leadership together. Now, a church that only has women in leadership, it could be good, but it's probably not best. A church that only has men in leadership, it could be good, but it's probably not best. 
a very popular pastor, author, theologian, John MacArthur, he said this, empowering women makes weak men. What an insecure statement That's, that somehow by me giving power is taking power. That's not what empowerment is. By me empowering others in the kingdom of God, I get more power from God. I don't get power taken from me when I give power away. It's the opposite in the kingdom. I think he's just one word off. I think empowering women scares weak men. I think it's insecurity that causes men to not let strong women. In fact, if there's a strong man who's like, he's, he, he's decisive and he's direct and he's candid and, and we, we say, oh, he knows what he wants, man. He's a, man. he's a great leader. You maybe say something like that. But when you get a woman who is a strong woman that is, that is decisive, that knows where she's going, you get different words for her, don't you? And I can't say those words even in church, but the words that are coming to your mind. About and because that's the way we, we think, and I because I, I want you to know look, strong men, strong men are not threatened by strong women, strong women make strong men even stronger. Okay, I am, I am a stronger man of God because I empower the gifting of my wife, because I identify the gifting in my wife and empower her in her gifts. I'm a stronger man because of that. What kind of person can lead in the church then? What does the Bible say that church leaders, church leadership, what kind of person leads? Well, let's just look at it. First Timothy chapter 3. It's a very familiar, famous passage about church leadership. Let's look at these qualities of what God says leaders should be. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires the office of an overseer, or that's a church leader, a deacon, a bishop, this overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He says he must not be even a recent convert, someone who's new to the Christian thing. Like, he's got to be tested a little bit first, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Um, moreover, he says he must be well thought of by outsiders. He's got to have a good reputation so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. So you take that at face value literally, and some people go, well, look, it says he and husband. Like, it's got to be the husband of just one wife. So he has to be a man. But does this really say that only men can be pastors? It never said that he has to be a man. These are the qualities of a church leader. Not, and oftentimes in the Bible, it would give from the gender perspective of a man, but it wasn't just for that gender. For instance, like Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, which a lot of you guys know, trained up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, that only works for your son, sucks for your daughters. Right? No, no, no. We know that. We know that there is there is actual direction that is given and perspective that is given from one gender. But it wasn't just meant to be just that gender. And we know that because at the end of the qualities in verse eleven of that same chapter, First Timothy chapter three, he goes on to say, in the same way, meaning those who aspire to be overseers, in the same way, the women who aspire to be overseers are to be worthy of respect. <laughs> 
not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Okay? Now, you, if you read this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, in most translations that are literal translations, we'll say women. In other translations that fall in the complementarian camp, which is unfortunate that somehow we, that we do have some men who interpret scriptures and put their own theology on it. So, for instance, that list of different theological beliefs that were complementarian, if they were a part of interpreting that Bible, which some of your Bibles are, they actually translate women as wives. So they say, well, this verse isn't talking to women. They say this is the wives of those, those leaders are supposed to be worthy of respect. And, and you go look at, you do the study yourself and look at the actual Greek word that's used, and that word that is used is for women in leadership, not, not, not their wives. He's talking about women in leadership. So these are the, the qualities of, here's, here's, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, these are the same qualities for everybody that God has. It's, it's, it's the same for all of us. But I think what we have today we have a generation, you may want to write this down, we have a generation chasing the spotlight of leadership, people that want it quick. But if the light that is on you is brighter than the light that is in you, it's going to kill you. So what you should focus on is your relationship with Jesus and loving Jesus and following Jesus and let God open the door for you. It is God who promotes. It is God who assigns. It's God who gives the gifts. I don't give it. You don't give it. What we should be focused on is falling in love with him and letting him open the doors for us. Okay. Number one, though, the church is better when men and women lead together. Number two, God uses women to preach and to teach. Just because Paul didn't permit a woman to preach and teach in one city 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that God doesn't plan for women to speak ever. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Look what it says. It says this, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, check this out. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will, what? Prophesy. So, so the, what we call sermons today is actually uh, uh, one of three things. Usually it's a combination of three things. What you call sermon, like what I'm doing today. The sermon is, it's a combination of preaching, teaching, and prophecy. That's what a, a, a sermon is. Preaching is always used in the context of, of convincing outsiders, sharing the gospel with outsiders. That's what preaching is. Teaching is always used in the context of, of teaching the church, the knowledge, the understanding, the the the. Uh, the word of God. This was actually one of the qualities of a church leader. He should be able to teach the word of God. And this was done in church. Prophecy is, is I think, something that's misconstrued today. A lot of people think it's, it's like fortune telling or future telling. That's not what the Greek word prophetuo means. It means to speak by divine interpretation. To teach, to refute, reprove, admonish, comfort. And it's always done in the context of of the church. Now listen, if it was always wrong for a woman to preach and teach men, then there would be no examples in the scripture of women preaching, teaching, or prophesying to God's people in the Bible. But guess what? They're there. All three of them. You see women doing it. Women prophesy and they do it in the church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 with me. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. 
but a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without covering her head. Now, that's the cultural context of covering the head. But the question is, how can she prophesy in the church if she ain't supposed to speak? If she's supposed to be silent? No. So that's not what Paul was saying there. No, there's like women prophesied in the church. And not only that, women taught men in the local church. Acts chapter 18 records an instance of this. It says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. So check this out. It says, when Priscilla and Aquila, now that's a couple, a married couple, Priscilla is actually mentioned first, which not, they never did in that context. The reason why she's mentioned first is she's actually the spiritual leader of this home. I may mess up some of your theology in this room. But Priscilla, Aquila, is the, that sounds like a feminine name. That's a male's name. That's her husband. Okay, Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue. They took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. We know that she was able to teach and she helped this guy out. God didn't zap her with lightning like, no, you can't teach a man. No, he used her, and the word of God and God holds her in a high regard. Women also taught in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. Check this out. Well, my brothers and who? My brothers and sisters. Let's summarize. When you meet together, one of you is going to sing, another is going to teach, another is going to tell some special revelation God has given. He goes on. One will speak in tongues and another interpret what is said, but everything that is done must strengthen all of you. Do women ever preach? Yes. Absolutely. In fact, Jesus used women as the first preachers of the gospel and the resurrection in John chapter 20. It was women who were the first declarers of the resurrected Jesus. Now, not every woman has the gift of teaching, preaching, prophesying. But if you do, you should be using that gift. At Discovery, any woman who teaches, whether it's in a small group or a large group or on a stage, is is identified as someone who has been gifted, empowered, and has the ability to teach. And we support women in ministry here at Discovery Church. But what matters is that God's word is proclaimed. It doesn't matter like the like what mouth it originates from, whether it's a man's mouth or a woman's mouth, because it's all coming from the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's the third truth. Write this down. God uses women to lead. If God was against all women being in leadership, over any man, like they can't be over men, then we would never see any examples in the Bible where women held leadership over men and it was affirmed by God. But guess what? There is, okay? Even in, in male-dominated cultures of the Old and New Testament, we still see women in leadership over men. In Exodus chapter 50, verse 20, I got a lot of stuff. It's not in your notes. You may want to write it down. Exodus 50, 20, Miriam was a prophetess over all Israel with her brothers Moses and Aaron. She was the worship leader. She even wrote songs that led the nation of Israel in worship. Huldah was a prophet in 2 Kings. Uh, Isaiah's wife was a prophet. Uh, Deborah was a prophet and judge. She was the spiritual and governing leader of God's people. Look at this, Judges chapter 4. It says, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet. This is Old Testament, you guys. Before David and Saul, this is like when the judges ruled Israel. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. And the Israelites, they'd actually go to her for their cases, and she would give judgment. It says, one day she went to Barak, who was a military leader. She said to him, this is what the Lord God of Israel 
commands you. She was a leader of the people. She spoke on behalf of God, and she commanded the general of God's army. In Acts chapter 21, you may want to write that down, verse 8 and 9, it says that Philip had four daughters, and all four of them were prophets. Not that they prophesied, but they actually had the leadership role of a prophet in the church. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us the different roles of leadership within the church. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4 says, so Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. This is what's called the five-fold ministry. These five, these are the people who lead the church. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So these are five people. Now, again, some people think, well, that can only be men. Well, that's a problem with the Bible then. You're going to have some... Romans chapter 16, verse 7 actually says that, that Adronicus and Junia, two females... This is the Apostle Paul said, hey, greet these two, Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the what? The apostles and became followers of Christ as I, as I did. Now, many Bible scholars believe that Adronicus and Junia, they were apostles. And they were actually, tradition tells us that they were a part of the 72 that Jesus sent out two by two, those disciples in the Gospels for eight centuries. They're clearly recognized as a woman apostle in, in the scriptures. Romans chapter 16, verse 2 says this, um, or verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon, which is a church leadership role in the church of Centria. So uh, not every woman has the gift of leadership, but some do. And the church needs them to use it. Now listen, women, if you come across someone uh, or, or people who don't believe in your call, Listen, don't become combative with them. Don't try to argue with them. Don't fight over your role and your freedom. God will fight for you. And he will open doors for you. You don't need to bust down doors. You don't need to kick down doors. You don't need to prove anything. You don't need to fight. God will fight for you, and he will open doors for you. In fact, I'll say this. Write this down somewhere, ladies. Women, remember whose opinion matters. It doesn't matter what they think and what they say. Remember whose opinion matters. You don't need to wait for permission or validation from some man to be used by God. You've already received it from him, okay? And we need all the help we can get in God's church. We have an enormous task ahead of us, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. That requires the full deployment of all of God's servants, both male and female. It makes no sense. The mission is just way too big for us to leave half of the ministers on the bench.